Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, September 19th, 2017. My apologies about yesterday. I had a pre-planned duty that I had to tend to. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those who we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and who small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. <clears throat> yeah, weird how that works. And over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine being put out there is like not even close to biblical. It's kind of crazy go nuts out there right now. So let's just talk about, <laughs> let's just get to it. I'm looking at my program notes and just going, oh boy, this is going to be a tough program. <laughs> The reason it's going to be tough is because it's going to be bizarre. Now, have you ever heard anybody in the NAR use the Lord's Prayer to somehow say we need to operate in the miraculous? Well, if you haven't heard that, well, you're going to hear it today. Uh, Patricia King will be twisting the Lord's Prayer in that way. And we'll talk about kind of a a more grounded approach to dealing with the Lord's Prayer um, yeah, we'll do that. Then we're going to do a money-grubbing televangelist update. We're going to check in with Jensen Franklin and a complete train wreck of a mishandling and botching of the feeding of the 5,000 from the Gospels. And uh, somewhere in there we'll have to take a break, and then we'll have an extended Beth Moore update. Mm-hmm. And uh, supposedly she's exegeting... <laughs> The parable of the talents. You know, are you familiar with this story? It's in Matthew 25. And uh, no sooner does she like read out the text, which you got to give her credit for. She just, just off the rails and just into weird stuff. It, it makes me, it makes me wonder if she's buying in now to the whole NAR eschatology. Yeah, it kind of sounds like it. And then in hour number two, we're heading over to Willow Creek 
as we listen to Bill Hybels explain to us five leadership tests. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> it's like, what? I, I, I get it. I get it's It's bizarre. And I, rumor has it. I mean, uh, Bill Hybels will be retiring soon. And uh, I think after hearing this sermon, I would suspect there's some good reason why he should. He should have never actually been a pastor, but it's a different story altogether. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. And since we're going to begin, this is going to be technically a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. Let's do this. at an English fair One evening I was there When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts There they are standing in a row Big one, small one, some as big as your head Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist That's what the showman said I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts Every ball you throw will make me rich there stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roll a bowl of all a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl of all a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl of all a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl of ball, roll a bowl of ball, singing roll a bowl of all a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. Got a lovely bunch of coconuts, so. Uh... Head never to Patricia King's XP Media website as we listen to a webinar she recently conducted online, hence webinar, titled Demystifying Miraculous Power. Hope you're sitting down. Let's get right to it. Here we go. Well, hello there. I'm excited to be able to impart some understanding to you. I don't think so. I don't think you're going to help me understand God's word at all. Webinar, but also to get you fired up and activated. Yeah, I I, I need some activation in my life. I, I was thinking, you know, as I was looking, you know, into my heart here that, I, you know, I, I just, I've noticed that I, I'm kind of in desperate, dire need of some activation. As you know, the unseen dimension of mm-hmm. the kingdom of God has your name on it that's no way are you are you sure every believer can access the invisible kingdom because you're already a kingdom citizen right so i mean because notice she's not exegeting a text this is just <laughs> i don't know what this is but it's kind of like doing doctrine via logical syllogism but i don't think she could even spell the word syllogism but it, it kind of goes like this. So you're a, a citizen of the kingdom of God. Well, this is true. I've been made a citizen of the kingdom of God through the gospel, through what Christ has done for me in bringing me to penitent faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. And I have been transferred. I, I, Colossians 2 is very clear. Actually, Colossians 1 says this, that uh, we've been transferred to the from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of of his son, this is this is absolutely true, but this has been done through the gospel. Mm-hmm. In other words, you when you kind of want to talk about how this works, it's when you go from a pagan unbeliever to a penitent believer in Jesus, and you bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's kind of the gist of it. So we continue. 
They're already part of, of God's eternal plan. You- yeah, that's true. Now, then, let me kind of finish the thought then. So what she's basically saying, because I'm a member of the kingdom, a citizen of the kingdom, therefore God wants me to access the miraculous. Yeah, no, I actually have to have a clear text that teaches this, not you saying, well, because you are a, a citizen of the kingdom, therefore you must access the miraculous. No, that's not how that works. You already have eternal life. It's in your spirit. And so God wants you to enjoy the kingdom. That's why, that's why we're taught by Jesus to pray this prayer. Our Father who lives in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth in the same way that it is in heaven. And so God wants you to experience not only abundant life in this earthly realm, but he wants you to experience the heavenly dimension at the same time. We actually call that by location, Jesus. <sighs> yeah, see, that's not what that means. Um, I mean, you just kind of ask yourself a simple question. How is God's will done here on earth? Mm-hmm. Think of it this way. We live on a rebel planet. Yeah, we do. Um, you know, 7 billion plus sinners running around on the planet. So what is God's will for us? That we repent, that we believe, that we are forgiven, that our lives bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and that would include rightly believing what God has revealed in his word. Um, yeah, that's God's will for us. It, it's his will, not his will that any should perish, but that all should, you know, re- repent and, you know, have eternal life. It's kind of the idea. Um, but you see, I can point to clear passages of scripture where it talks about God's will, that it's his will that you believe, that it's his will that you believe in the one whom he has sent, that it is will for you to repent and be forgiven, that it is will, his will for you to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I can point you to clear passages of scripture that say that, but I cannot find a single passage of scripture, including the Lord's Prayer, that does not even allude to this, that reveals that it's God's will that you bilocate so that you can access the heavenly realm and the miraculous realm. <laughs> Patricia King is a loony bird. Lived in two realms at the same time. He lived in the earthly realm where he related to us as human beings and did the works of the Father in the earthly realm. But it says in John 5 that he only did the things that he saw his Father do. He told us where the Father lived. The Father lives in heaven. Therefore, Jesus had to have access into the heaven to be able to do the Father's will in the earth. And so can you. (laughs) So because Jesus had access into the heavenly realm of where the Father is in the miraculous, so can you. No biblical text says this. Jesus said that as the Father has sent me, so also I send you. Uh, Referring to his disciples who became the apostles, and the one who hears them hears Jesus. The same way Jesus has sent, you have been sent. And so this is for every believer. So I want to help teach you, using some scriptures, I'll unfold some things, I'm going to teach you in this webinar how to open your heart to the fullness of the kingdom of God. So I have to open my heart to the fullness in order to experience this miraculous thing. So, I mean, if, I mean, you think about this. I mean, if it's God's will for you to access the miraculous in the heavenly kingdom and all this kind of stuff, it just kind of begs the question, why aren't Christians just naturally doing this? 
you know, you become a Christian, you, you brought to penitent faith in Christ, um, and you, you're baptized, and then, you know, all of a sudden you begin doing these things because this is what God wills for you, right? Yeah, I mean, if this is what this means. Why is it that it's up to me to yield myself to the miraculous in order for the miraculous to happen? Where in Scripture are we taught that? Okay, now that, see, God wills for you to do this, but you've got to yield yourself to it. Uh-huh. Yeah, so get to yielding, you know, and then you'll start doing the thing, yeah. See, this has like con job written all over it. To experience and encounter God, his presence, his angelic realm, and his heavenly dimensions. How many of you would like that? Do you want that in your life? Because Yeah, well, if this is what God wills for me to have, why would it depend upon me willing it? Wouldn't just being a Christian be enough? <sighs> I think you get the idea. I, this is just... Crazy go nuts. And so, I mean, how long was this webinar? <laughs> well, not very long, thankfully. It was less than 30 minutes. So 30-minute webinar of just complete gobbledygook. Of course, you know, how many times has it been seen? Uh, well, <laughs> thankfully not too many. But yeah, I think you get the point. I mean, this is just nuts. And uh, this woman has um, been a menace and a she's been a boil on the behind of the body of Christ since I've been doing my program. Best, best way I can put it. I have yet to hear her rightly handle a biblical text even once by accident. It just doesn't happen with her. All right, moving along, we have a um, money grubbing televangelist update. So let's do this. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira, now the Deutschmark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, money, money. There's nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, money, money. Everyone must anger for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, 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 round. You can keep round, your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go round. Money, 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 money. All right, so we're going to head over to uh, Jensen Franklin's uh, TBN television program as we listen to him, I mean, just utterly train wreck the uh, the feeding of the 5,000 from the gospel accounts. Here's Jensen Franklin. Hope you're sitting down. The name of the message is The Blessing is in the Breaking, and I think he's breaking scripture here so broke that it'll never work again. Uh, but here's Jensen Franklin to explain. Your Bibles with me to the book of Mark, chapter 6. Mark, chapter 6. So, I want to talk to you for a few moments about this story because it's interesting how that they go from one miracle to a storm. They go directly from Jesus feeding the 5,000 right into the greatest test and storm that they would ever face. 5,000 men gathered, women and children besides, in a desert place in desperate need. Of the word of God. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy said man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. So they didn't have food. They had the word of God. Jesus was teaching. Listen to this. And these people had rather have had the word 
than bread. If they had to choose, they said, I'll take the word over the bread. What? (laughs) Okay, so uh, Bible twisting technique number one in this message is eisegesis. Yeah, sticking stuff into the biblical text that just isn't there. Uh, so we got a problem here because nowhere in the scripture, and especially in uh, Mark 6, does it say anything about the people saying, "Now nah, we'll pass on the bread. Just give us the word. Um, <laughs> so uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 34, when uh, he went ashore, Jesus saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. They're out in the wilderness. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. So when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And then he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were about 5,000 men. Now, a little bit of a note here. One of the important ways of understanding Scripture is to take a look at the same story from other passages. Sometimes you, you get cross-references, and those will help you out. It just turns, it just so happens that this particular uh, account of the feeding of the 5,000 is, the aside from the resurrection, is the miracle that appears in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we've noted already that this takes place in a desolate place, in a wilderness. There's a miraculous feeding of the people of Israel in the wilderness. That's kind of a key. If you know your Old Testament, you can kind of figure out what's going on here. And listen to John's account in John chapter 6, and um, watch watch the result of this. Here's what it says. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 12. When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, filled the 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And, And when the people saw the sign that he had done, that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So important to note here, this particular miracle is very important because it it demonstrates who Jesus is. And they recognize that Jesus was the promised, quote-unquote, prophet that Moses told would come and just look at, uh, you know, like Deuteronomy 18 there, talking about the prophet who would come after Moses, who everybody had to listen to, you know, and if they didn't, it would be to their own detriment, eternal detriment. Roseboro's paraphrase of Deuteronomy 18. And so this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 in a desolate place in the wilderness, this food sign 
made them realize just who Jesus was. And that's the idea behind the miracle, is it reveals who Jesus is. And so they were going to make him king by force, but he had to kind of put that all away. So this is a miracle that points to, well, the deity of Jesus, because the last time the children of Israel were miraculously fed in such a large quantity in the wilderness was, well, before the children of Israel actually came into the promised land. So Jesus reproducing the miraculous feeding of the children of Israel in the wilderness explicitly demonstrated who he was. But let's continue with uh, Jensen Franklin here. To eat shows a tremendous hunger for the Word of God. If you've got a hunger for the Word of God, God will always supply your needs. Yeah, the text didn't say anything about the people saying, yeah, we want God's Word, not food. That's not in there. And the Bible said that... When the disciples told them how weak they were, how hungry they were, the people hadn't eaten and they were concerned, Jesus said they need not depart. They don't have to leave me. They came for the word, but I can give them word and bread. And Jesus said to them, what do you have? Point number one, the miracle always begins with what you have. What miracle? So notice what he's doing here. He's taking the feeding of the 5,000 and turning it into a template for some miracle breakthrough thingy that's supposed to happen in your life. No, 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 no. The feeding of the 5,000 was a one-off miracle that, well, actually, there was a similar miracle to it. There's another feeding, uh, you know, a miraculous feeding. But in this particular case, the feeding of the 5,000 is a sign that reveals who Jesus is. It's not some reproducible miracle that, or some template for some miracle that God's going to do something in your life. No, pay attention to this miracle because this miracle demonstrated who Jesus is. The, 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 the one who Moses prophesied, the prophet who would come after him that everybody had to listen to. It showed that he's the Messiah, the King of Israel. That's why they wanted to make him king by force. It's about pointing to who Jesus is. It's a revealing of his glory. When you recognize what you have, then God can multiply it. What? It's not in what you don't have. You have to recognize. Notice the pattern that Jesus is showing us. No, this is not a pattern. This is a miracle that reveals who Jesus is. He's saying the first key to receiving my provision for your life, no matter what kind of storm or season you're going through or facing, is recognize what you have. No, (laughs) that's not what this miracle is about at all. Because when you recognize what you have, then God can multiply it. And the Bible said that it's ironic that they did not count the women and the children. I, I think it's very ironic because the one that they didn't... The Bible doesn't say that's ironic. That was standard practice in the day. They were fa- counting family units. Heads of families were men. And count was the one that God used to bring the miracle. No, they counted 5,000 men, and in their mind, they said the women and the children don't count. But notice something about your God. God uses people that other people don't count. Machine gun of nonsense here. Wow. God uses people that other people discount. 
God uses people that other people say are unimportant, so unimportant, they don't even count. But that's the very one, the little lad that had five loaves and two fish. He was the one that nobody counted, that everybody discounted. He's just a kid with five slices of bread and two fish. But the one that people didn't count was the one that God counted. I want to tell you, that's the truth about our God. He counts people that other people discount. People may look you look at you as unimportant, may write you off as unimportant, but this miracle's not about me or you. This is a miracle that points to who Jesus is. But God says I count people that other people don't count. What do you have? <laughs> I got Jesus. What about you? When you recognize what you have, I can multiply it. And always remember that I count people that other people don't see anything worth counting in. That's the kind of God we serve. Jesus then gives a strange command when they bring the boys food. Jesus said to them, separate into groups of 50. Now, this is going to take a while. You've got 5,000 men plus women plus children, a minimum of 15, 20,000 people. You've got to count out 50 people, separate them, put them over here in a small group, and then do another in a small group, and then another, and then another, and then another. Do you know how long that would take? The people are already fainting. The people are already hungry. The people haven't eaten all day in the sun, and the sun is setting, and why in the world would you take the time to separate them into groups of 50? Because sometimes the best miracles take time. What? Where are you getting any of this? Sometimes you have got to have order and structure. He said, divide them up into 50. Give me some order out of this. Notice the one thing he's not doing is actually pointing us to Jesus and how this miracle demonstrates who he is. Mass crowd, give me some structure because it takes order and structure to receive the magnitude of the blessing that God wants to give you. Many times we're saying, God bless me with more and we're mis mishandling what we have. Yeah, like the way you're mishandling what we have called the word of God, right? God doesn't, God doesn't give you more according to what you ask for. He gives you more according to what you can manage. What? <laughs> so that's the lesson of the fact that they organize people in groups of fifties and hundreds. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I, I was this recorded in Colorado. I'm just asking. And if you can't manage what you've got right now, why yeah. would God give you more to squander? I, I, I don't know. I, I, this is so weird. And he said, I want you to have a structure that can maintain the magnitude of the blessing that I want to pour into your life. And the Bible said that they brought Jesus the bread. They gave him what they had. And Jesus took it, the Bible said, and... He blessed it. He's blessing what is not enough. He's blessing five loaves of bread and two fish 
It's obviously not enough to feed 5,000 men plus the women plus the children. Yeah, that's kind of the point. It was a miraculous feeding of the children of Israel in the wilderness. Harkens back to the whole manna thing. It's not enough, but he's giving thanks for what is not enough. When you learn to be grateful, even when what you have is not enough, then God can begin to multiply not enough into more than enough. Oh, this is so bad. Well, how do I know if I'm grateful enough? Uh, well, when your stuff starts multiplying, then you've hit the grateful quotient that's necessary for you to have before multiplication to, can take place of your not enough. This is not what this text is saying at all. Until you can be thankful for something that is not enough, you cannot be multiplied into more than enough. That's not the point of this miracle. You'll never see the multiplication as long as you're ungrateful. But when you become thankful for what he has given you, as little as it is, little is much when God... Notice, it's all on you. You got to get grateful enough. Get going. Start getting grateful. ...is in it. I wish somebody would just right now say, Lord, I'm thankful. I don't have everything that I wish I had. Hope you're thankful enough, you know, because uh, you're Multiplication depends on it. But I'm thankful for what I've got. That's when the miracle starts. Uh huh. And the Bible said that when he took it and he blessed it, gave thanks for it, blessed it, that he had the correct inventory. Two fish, five loaves. Nothing had multiplied. Nothing had increased. It wasn't until he did something, the Bible said he then took the bread, after he blessed it, he broke it. And when he broke it and started handing it to the disciples to distribute, as he broke it, he began to lose count. The blessing is in the breaking. (laughs) This doesn't make... A lick of sense. Just read the cross-reference. The point was, the miracle was a sign, and they realized who he was. Good night. And this is an example that proves that Jensen Franklin, not qualified to be a pastor, because he doesn't even know who the Bible's about. It's about Jesus, not you. And this miracle points to who Jesus is. Ah! Anyway, I think you get the point. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, extended Beth Moore update. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
Max Holiday's Birdcage Theatre presents Church Day Select. And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage Theatre proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred. I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes, I like Because symbols. oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people? Well, major ways through his word. But his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit. So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life, which is why... You this. A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no. Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring. What does it do? What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message. Like what? Oh, I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station. Radio for now. <laughs> Let me help you turn on the ring. I have a great idea. Why don't you take it out for a test drive? Aren't you gonna come with me? <laughs> you know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you. Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave. I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God. You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense. I'm sorry that I caused you so much pain. It's all your... I mean, not your fault. <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring! 
I wonder when this is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's. I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog. And I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. There's a dog eating grass. His owner is picking up the poop, and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. Uh, all I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond. You are such a jerk! I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. But there's no tetherball or rope, it's just a pole. I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm gonna take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm gonna have to go get some soap from the bathroom. I can't let you do that, Mildred. Oh dear, it's become self-aware. Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you, for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together forever. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. <laughs> and what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, uh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. 
What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. <laughs> to err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Uh, warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could help you identify when people twist scripture as badly as Patricia King and Jensen Franklin and Beth Moore. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. That's right. You get to partner with us, We and we definitely need partners to help us keep bringing this outreach to other people. And of course, the way you partner with us is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. That's right. You get to pick your rank. There's four ranks. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, hope you're sitting down. It's now time for a Beth Moore update. Let's do this. Able to twist a Bible passage into a pretzel faster than a hummingbird on five shots of espresso from Starbucks, it is now time for Bible Twisting with Beth Moore. Today, we will be hearing about the parable of the talents and then wander off into what sounds mysteriously like New Apostolic Reformation eschatology. That's the best way I could put it. Let's get to it. Here's Beth Moore. You may be seated. Matthew chapter 25. We are all weekend long, three solid sessions, studying one section of Scripture. And it's Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Now, before I read you the parable, I want to give you some context because we're starting in verse 14. If you have a little segment title right over 14, would somebody tell me what it says? The parable of what? Tell me one more time. Look at someone next to you and say, we're studying the parable of the talents. Because we're going to work some talents out this weekend. 
Oh, yes, we are. Oh, yes, we are. The Holy Spirit's going to come in and be our talent scout in this house this weekend. <laughs> I wish they would call it the parable of the Talantons. Yeah, that would help a lot. A talent is not the ability to shoot a basketball or sing a song well or anything like that. This isn't talking about that. It's a Talanton. It's about 100 pounds of gold. Um. <laughs> So, yeah, it's – I hate it and I just absolutely it, – it, one of my pet peeves is when somebody literally equates the word talent with what we understand would be talent that a talent scout is looking for. That's not what the talent is. A, a talent – a talanton is a measurement. It's a weight of currency of the ancient world. But we're going to notice in verse 14 that it's going to begin like this, for it will be like a man going on a journey. Well, we can't go any further with an it until we identify what it is. So for just one moment, would you glance back to the beginning of the chapter, Matthew 25, verse 1, then the kingdom of heaven will be like... God has really called me this year in Living Proof Live in all sorts of different dimensions and directions to, I mean, come and teach the kingdom of God to over and over say again, this is what Jesus preached. All right. So she's now a kingdom preacher, but I think she's been heavily influenced by the NAR's definition of the gospel of the kingdom. This was his primary theme, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of our living Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the parable we're about to read, the, the it is the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven will be like. Now, a parable for anybody that's new, that word in Greek means to throw something to the side of. So you're taking something familiar. It could even be just a fictional story and you're laying it down beside a truth so that they can understand, so that the reader can understand something less known by something that is known. So, Yeah, actually, Jesus expressed reason why he taught in parables was to make it more difficult for people to understand. Go and read Matthew 13, same book, different chapter. Jesus explicitly says, the reason I teach in parables is so that seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear. Uh huh. Parables were not given to make things easier to understand. Jesus gave them to make it a little bit more difficult. Jesus is about to tell them a story, and this is how it goes, and it is about the kingdom of heaven. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them, everybody say entrusted to them, his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then we're supposed to fill the weight of these next four words. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. Verse 18, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. And his master said, verse 23, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talents from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even What he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant out into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is not a parable. Now, real quick, that's the best part of this. She actually read the text out, but it's a parable, which means it has to be interpreted. Yeah, the reason why Jesus spoke in parables was to make things more difficult, not easier to understand. So this is a kingdom parable. It is an eschatological parable. And it follows the parable of the ten virgins. And it's important to note, to be able to unpack this, you have to pay attention to the relationship between the um, <laughs> the one who, uh, well, hated the master and those who didn't. And the question is, you know, what's the money that they've been given? This isn't the ability to shoot a basketball. This is to do commerce in the name of the king. Who's our king? King Jesus. So you can sit there and say one way of looking at the talents, the talantan, is that it represents the preaching of the gospel, going out and proclaiming the word, doing business in the name of the master. That's kind of the, the gist of it. What are you going to do with God's word? So the the uh, the one who didn't like the master, uh, it says, um, it, you know, he also, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid I went and hid your talent in the ground. Afraid of who? Afraid of Jesus? Really? You, you're, that means you do not even know who he is. You don't. You have no concept who Jesus, who is like, or anything like that. So notice the relationship between these servants and the master is key to getting what is going on here. One has no faith. One considers Jesus to be ruthless. You know, a terrible, hard man, and so he ends up getting judged by his own words, by his own view of Jesus. So the others, they they just trusted him and went to went to work, just risking all and this, you know, taking these talents and they multiplied. That's what they did. So um, you kind of get the idea of what's going on there. But uh, you know, 
Let's see where Beth Moore goes with this now that she's read it out. About how we are saved by works. We are saved and become a member of the household of God only by the grace of God. Now, note, she was not saying we're saved by works. She's speaking against that idea. This is, this is true. We are not saved by our works. This is not teaching a parable of the doctrine of salvation. It's teaching a parable of the doctrine of faithfulness. That's what we're going to learn together, but we will certainly know what it means to have saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we're going to find about the servant who was unfaithful is that he did not know his master at all. It becomes very, very clear in the parable. But for now, I want you to see this whole reference point of what it means to be faithful with what has been entrusted to us. And you and I are going to start working this thing out. Um, I got to tell you all something. Um, this weekend on the plane, I flew in on Delta and I had the cutest little flight attendant. Uh, she was about, I would give her at the most 25, but she was like the tigger of flight attendants. Um, is this woman, the flight attendant, is this story going to help me better understand this parable? Have y'all, you know, with Winnie the Pooh, you know how it just bounced around on his tail like this? She just like bounced around. And so I, I, I'm trying to really um, withhold the tigger in me that wants to teach like that. It's because I know it's a little too much for people, but it's everything I can do not to just bounce all over. while we're, Because the word is alive. And it's transforming to us. And I believe God is going to release a mandate on us. And I don't... I... What? <laughs> so because you read out the story of the talents, you believe God's going to release mandates on people. I, have you been watching Ryan Lestrange's YouTube channel? Where are you getting this? I'm going to look back at my team because how many times do you hear me talk mandate talk? And I'm telling you, I feel like God has something to speak over us that will have huge bearing corporately. Yeah, I, she's just steered into the NAR. Are you going to be appearing with Patricia King anytime soon? And individually, if we'll receive it. I want us to just come here and like, just have an event. Let's, let's have a complete collision with the will of God that changes the way we do and see life. I mean, what is the earth? <laughs> a collision. Okay, all right. Earth even do what does this have to do with the parable of the talents? Doing in the universe, and what are you doing on it? I mean, do you ever think to yourself that honestly, we are like pin cushions on a little circle. We're all standing out like this. And like, if there was no gravity, we would just go flying out. Have y'all seen that movie? It's the most disturbing. Have y'all seen gravity? I mean, that could be us, y'all. I, I, I don't know. Um, normally, when I read a text, I get to the task of exegeting it. Um, I, I don't know where she went. She started off well reading the text, but I, what does the movie Gravity or what does Tigger have to do? What, what is she doing? And what's this mandate nonsense? I mean, have you ever thought about it? I mean, like, why are we here? What is the earth doing here? Why is it that planet earth was suited for life in our galaxy? What in the world is this about? And why are we on it at this point 
in human history? These are questions you should be asking yourself. Questions I should be asking myself. What is our place here? Why is this earth here? Why does it sustain human life? Why are you talking about this that has nothing to do with the parable? Very good questions. So we're going to make a series of points. First one, I just want us to get down. This This you can just know for the rest of your life. This one is big, and I'm going to prove it to you in Scripture. The world was created so that heaven could invade it. God- <laughs> what? <laughs> what does this have to do with the parable of the talents? The world was created so heaven could invade it. I, wow. Okay. God created the heavens and the earth and set the earth in exactly the right place in the universe so that it could sustain life. And he began to turn it on one big principle so that heaven could invade it. And literally, he wanted to delight creation with his presence, so he creates earth so he can invade it. I want to show you, literally, ladies, one of... Is, is there a text that actually says, the reason why God made the earth is so he can invade it? I, just, I, I, and where are you seeing this in the parable of the talents again? The most important scriptures in the entire word of God. If you want to know where the consummation is, where is the peak? What is the big moment that all of this is working toward? I can show it to you tonight in scripture. Revelation 11 verse 15. Everybody turn with me there. This is the whole point right here. It says, then the seventh angel, even that is significant, blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. That's it. You want to take your pen and start and go, this is the goal of all creation. It is the reason why the world was created so that Christ Jesus could continue to invade it by way of his spirit, by way of the gospel. <laughs> um, didn't it all already start out as his kingdom and then, you know, there was sin and that kind of messed everything up? Ah, <sighs> man. I, I, wow. I, I don't know what to do with this. On this planet until the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and Christ and he shall reign forever. So that is everything we're working toward. Every single goal on the kingdom calendar. Everything we are working toward. Huh? Is toward that big event when one day. Do we make that happen? Huh? Jesus will reign on this planet. It will be a kingdom of righteousness where the lion can lay down with the lamb. Everything that has been at enmity, everything that has been hostile will be brought in complete um, peace and joy and freedom and wholeness and health underneath the headship of the king, our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where everything is moving.
all the time that is in between the moment of creation until the full invasion of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, everything in between time is working toward that huge event when that thing happens. I mean, yeah. how did the fall work towards that? If you're ever asked, what is the world doing in existence? That's it. It is here so that the kingdom of heaven can invade it until Christ reigns over this earth and shows what true rule looks like in righteousness. Beautiful, beautiful thing. How many of you have ever prayed the Lord's Prayer before? Uh Uh-oh. Why do I feel like she's going to mess this up in a similar way that Patricia King messed it up? How many of us? For every single time we have said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying for Revelation 11.15. Every time. Kinda. That it's the point. Now, so that's why when he said, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, I'll teach you how to pray. You pray for this. This is when the world will go under the order that it was created for. When all redemption will be complete. And I will reign as king over all creation and over this planet and over the peoples of this world. Beautiful, beautiful concept. Now, looking back at Matthew chapter... Isn't Jesus already reigning, though? I mean, he sits at the right hand of the Father, right? Uh, And he says in Matthew 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Yeah, I mean, when he ascended, he, he began to reign. I mean, he's doing that right now. Chapter 25. So number two is this. The royal mandate is for the rule of heaven to increase on earth. Um, the royal mandate. I know the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching all that I have commanded. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are you talking about? Because if the point is that ultimately the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our living Lord Jesus Christ and he will reign forever and ever. If that's what we're after, then it makes sense to us to see and it certainly makes sense in the parable in many places of scripture that the royal mandate is for the kingdom of heaven to increase on earth. If ultimately where it's going is that the whole world becomes the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, then with every generation, that's the mandate. I want everybody to say increase. Are you saying that it is our job to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth? I want you to say it again. Through our increasing. I want you to look at one another and say... This sounds so eerily like the NAR eschatology that I'm I'm having a hard time here. Uh, When I was in the latter rain movement, I mean, we were told Jesus can't come back until the bride perfects herself and Christians take dominion over all of the earth. This sounds a lot like that. We're called to increase. I'm gonna, I want to prove this to you in Scripture, but I want to throw out a few of, of the uh, examples right now. Now watch where she goes with this because <laughs> you're sitting there going, okay, so we have a mandate to increase the kingdom. 
Watch the biblical text she goes to. From the very beginning to the very end, remember, if it's got to be that the final point is Revelation eleven fifteen, then the whole mandate from creation on, particularly after the fall, became that the kingdom of God would come increasingly until it reigned in fullness in Christ. Uh-huh. So we've got to take over the world. I wonder if she teaches the seven mountains as well as the strategy for achieving this increase. So knowing that there's got to be an increase in every generation. In in Genesis 1.28, we see it right after. He- so the, the increase mandate, Genesis 1.28, listen to what it says. He creates the man and the woman in his image. It says, and God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase. Uh, lady, um, <laughs> Genesis one twenty eight has to do with human procreation. This is birds and bees stuff here. This is not a kingdom increasing mandate. This is the make babies mandate. What are you doing? Fruitful and multiply in many of her translations means the same thing. Be fruitful and increase says it again when they push restart because all manner of wickedness has overtaken the world and everybody's the inclination of every heart except the family of Noah. Yeah, uh, same thing after God hits the reset button uh, there in Genesis and causes the global flood. The uh, be fruitful and increase or multiply, again, that is um, baby stuff. Human procreation. Well, this is so bizarre, but I think you get the point. Something is really, really far off here with uh, Beth Moore. I mean, it. I, I'm not. I'm not joking. I mean, I'm convinced she's been imbibing in um, in in NAR eschatology. This is really crazy, but I think you get the point. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, a Bill Hybels sermon, hopefully one of his last. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. 
Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms and rental cars today. Number two, fighting for the faith. <laughs> Just still scratching my head. Yeah, Beth Moore never seems to um, disappoint in the strange wonder category. I never know what strange thing she's going to say next. Always makes me wonder. Let's do this right. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Willow Creek out there in South Barrington, Illinois, suburb of Chicago. The name of the sermon, Five Leadership Tests by Bill Hybels. I mean, just with a title like that, you're thinking, what on earth does this have to do with rightly understanding God's Word at all? Five leadership tests? Really? Okay. That's all I got to (laughs) say. Just, okay, let's see where this ends up. So, let me go ahead and back off on the music without any further ado. Here's Bill Hybels and five leadership tests. I don't know what text he's going to be exegeting, but chances are he won't be. Here we go. After I became a Christian when I was 17, a wiser person, older wiser person, told me to read the book of Luke slowly, deliberately, reflectively for 15 minutes a day. And I asked, why Luke? And the response came, you'll see. So I did. I spent the first several months of my new life in Christ establishing my faith by reading the book of Luke. And I've been partial to this book ever since. You've all heard me at holiday services, baptism services, Christmas, whenever, when I'm challenging people to open their life up to the work of Christ, I say, if you've made that decision, get a Bible. We'll help you if you don't have one. And you've heard me say this for decades. Start reading the Bible, and I suggest that you start reading in the book of Luke. I also challenge Christ followers who are stuck to to read the book of Luke afresh. Because Luke shows Jesus in action. Luke. Christ followers who are stuck? What does that mean? Luke in particular captures stories of Jesus. And the stories often are of Jesus interacting with the weak, the powerless, the tempted, the poor, the marginalized. It's about Jesus interacting with people. Luke also contains 18 parables that are unique from all the other Gospels, including such classic parables as the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son, filled with stories, riveting reading. Luke pays special attention to women and the role that they played to help Jesus move his mission ahead. Luke underscores the values of worship and community more than the other Gospels. And finally, in the book of Luke, 
Almost every time Jesus arrives on the scene, there is a palpable sense of expectancy in the air. Something memorable is probably going to happen. Someone's going to be healed or restored, redeemed or reconciled. Someone's going to be loved or liberated or forgiven or empowered to go into their future with a new vision. One thing is for sure, uh, it will, things will not stay... Empowered to go into their future with a new vision? What version of Luke are you reading from? Status quo. So when Steve organized the, the series and anchored it in my favorite book of the New Testament, the book of Luke, uh, I, I said, I'm in. I'm in 100%. I'll teach as often as you want me to teach. Uh, and I hope you'll be in too, all of you, for this whole series. And I really hope that, that all of you will recommit yourself to this chair time that Steve just talked to you about. Uh, from our survey data from just last month, about 50% of you uh, said that you either every day or almost every day of the week, uh, you sit down for 15 minutes with God's word. 50%. That was not thrilling information for me. Because it means 50% of you do not integrate into your life this powerful 15 minutes that could be so transformative. And it makes me want to ask, is it time for you, the 50% of you who don't practice this, is it time for you to uh, commit and make a decision to 15 minutes a day, okay? I have a business friend of mine who lives out of state. He's heard me talk about this forever. And just about a month or two ago, he, he said, you wore me down. I decided I am going to start this 15-minute practice in my life. And just last week, he emailed me, he said, I want... Why didn't I make this commitment years ago? He said, this changes how I feel throughout my day. So I invite you into that. Of course, small groups, uh, I can't imagine trying to live a life following Christ without other people in my life encouraging me and challenging me. And so, so take up Steve's challenge about a small group and this table if. <laughs> I think the reason I actually am standing before you today primarily is because I had a father in particular who insisted that our family, my siblings, five kids in our family, my dad, very successful business person, very entrepreneurial, all the rest, leadership-oriented, busy guy. He said, we're going to gather around this table. And before we leave the table, I'm going to read God's word to you, and then we're going to pray together as a family. That was my whole orientation. I, I can't think of what it would have been like to grow up in a family without a, a leader in the family who was saying, hey, kids, listen, God's word matters. And I'm under its authority. And your mom's under its authority. And we're all under its authority. So let me read it to you. And all five of us walk with God these days. When Lynn and I were raising Todd and Shauna, you know, a lot of our peers never insisted on a like a table time. And we just said, you can raise your kids any way you want. We're going to make a special event for dinner time. We're not going to have dinner around the TV. We're not going to let the kids run around with sandwiches and stuff like that. We're going to sit down and we're going to talk to each other and then we're going to read God's word and pray. And, you know, Todd and Shauna are well-established in their faith and living for Christ these days. And I think maybe part of it was that table time that we had. So please, please rethink this. And uh, September's always a good time to say, hey, why don't we 
Why don't we turn a new page and, and start a new journey? So I just leave that challenge with you. Now, I get to teach the first two installments of this series, and Steve said you can preach on anything you want as long as it's from Luke. So I said, well, I want to teach from one of my favorite passages before you teach on it. So that's from Luke 5. In Luke 5, Jesus is teaching by the seaside, and there's such an air of expectancy, hope and power in the air, you see. The text actually says, the longer Jesus was teaching, the larger the crowd was was, uh, growing. The longer he preached, the greater the crowd. I don't know if... The longer he preached, the greater the crowd. Uh, Now, that never happens to me. If I preach too long, it all starts thinning out. I'm very well aware of that. (laughs) Don't thin out yet. I'm just starting. Uh, A while back, I went down to visit uh, our children's ministry, Promised Land. And there was a veteran woman. She's been around the church for a long time. She was in the toddler area, and she about fainted when she saw me because I don't get down there that much. And she put one of the kids down, and she started walking toward me with such intentionality that one of my security guys, you know, was worried. And uh, so, but she stopped in the right place, and she said, Pastor Hybels, I just want to tell you something. I thought, oh, here we go. And she said, when you think it's the Holy Spirit prompting you to preach longer than your allotted time, I'm telling you it's not. (laughs) And... When you don't stick to your time, you don't understand what goes on down here. These toddlers go bananas, and they tie us up. They start trashing the rooms and all that. So I'm telling you, stick to your times. I said, well, God bless you. (laughs) And she's kind of in my head today, so I'm going to kind of keep going. Uh, But again, Jesus is teaching, and he's running out of space on the beach. He has nowhere to go, and he sees a man named Peter who's just fished all night, dragging his nets and his boat up to the very beach that Jesus is teaching from, and an idea pops into Jesus' head. And he says, maybe if I sit in a boat in shallow water, it'll open up space on the beach for more people to come and sit and be able to see and hear. Um, why isn't he actually reading out the text? I mean, what he's saying is, isn't actually in the text. Luke 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "'Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch.'" Those are the first four verses, and I didn't see what he just said. Why isn't he just reading the text and exegeting it correctly? Problem solved, right? But one day I was reading this text from my chair, and I had the sense, and I know you've had this sense before, that you're reading a a portion of the Bible and you say, I think I'm missing something. I mean, the the obvious is going on here, but there might be a sub-story going on here that I'm, I'm not aware of. And I had that sense about this text from Luke 5. And I said, God, would you reveal to me if there's another slant on this or meaning from this text? Would you reveal? All right. So God apparently revealed this particular slant. This is uh, a uh, God revealed slant to uh, Luke 5. So to challenge this slant is to challenge God himself. 
reveal that additional thing to me, whatever it is. And he actually revealed something to me. What I started to understand is that in this text, Jesus was actually attempting to solve two problems at once. High-capacity leaders learn how to do this over time. Many of you do this. Luke 5 is about high-capacity leaders? What? This almost subconsciously. I do it from time to time. Jesus has to solve the immediate problem, which is where to preach from. And he had recently decided that he needed to select some team members who would become his disciples, who would further his mission when he was gone. And he sees Peter over there. And this text actually reveals that Jesus is going to solve his preaching problem and he's going to test Peter's mettle. He's going to run Peter through five different tests to determine if he has the right stuff in order to make the short list of candidates. What? Where is the short list of candidates mentioned? Who's on the short list? This is eisegesis. He's sticking stuff in here. Wow. That'll eventually become his disciples. So the first test catches Peter totally off guard. After a long, frustrating night of fishing, out of nowhere, Jesus asks Peter not only if he can use his boat, but he says to Peter, will you man the oars? I know you've been up all night, I know. But would you man the oars and row me out to exactly the right spot where I can finish my sermon? So this is his first test, and I call it the bias for action test. The bias for action test. What? (laughs) Remember, God revealed this to Bill Hybels directly, that Jesus was actually um, testing Peter using test number one, the bias for action test. Unbelievable. I I mean, this is a total botching of this text. Now, you have to understand, Jesus was no stranger to boats. He could have easily rowed himself out into position. He was experienced and able-bodied. But he wants to find out what Peter's made of. What kind of person is he? How does he respond to unexpected challenges? Does he jump in quickly to help solve problems or does he slink back into the shadows and say, hey, you know what? That's not my problem. You have a preaching location problem. You solve your problems. I'm done for the day. See? This bias for action test was very important to Jesus. Jesus did not want to surround himself with... If it was so important, why doesn't the Bible actually say Jesus was testing him using the bias for action test? How come you're the first person in all of Christian history to discover this test? Sleepy types who turn the other way when challenges arise. He knew he only had a a few short years to launch his redemptive movement that would need to spread all across the ancient Near East. So the team he assembled would have to be action-oriented people. Get-it-done types, high-energy people. People who would spring into action when needed. So on the beach that day, he says to Peter in Luke 5, 3, will you row the boat out from the shore? Will you do this right now? Because I have a problem to solve. Will you help me right now? And Peter... Amazingly, he says, yes, I will help you right now. Pretty cool. Quick time out. Willow, last week, you all, or the vast majority of you, 
passed Jesus' bias for action test with flying colors in your response to the flooding in South Texas. Last This never-before-seen test, never-before-heard-of test that Bill Hybels has discovered. Good news, the people there at Willow Creek have all passed the bias for action test. This is un... This is unbelievable. I no way to save this sermon. It's off in the weeds. Did you learn this from Beth Moore? Wednesday, middle of the week, I sent an email out to everybody across the Willow family and told you that you could help us if you had the heart to want to help. In five short days, you filled five semis, as Heather just told you, with supplies that arrived just a couple days later to the affected areas. And someone did some work and figured out the supplies in those five semis came to a grand total of about $745,000 worth of supplies. Add a 100000 gift on top of that. What differentiates this congregation from so many other congregations that I'm aware of around the world is that we didn't wait a month for an elders meeting. The chairman of our elder board... Uh, took a vote with our elders and got that done in a phone call in less than an hour. We didn't have to take three congregational votes, have a town hall meeting, assemble a finance committee. Our senior leaders jumped into action to figure out the best way that we could all respond quickly, and then you responded quickly. And that was awesome. You get a straight A in my book on this bias for action test, and I'm so proud of you. And Peter got a straight A on his bias for action test. So Jesus proceeded with his second test, which is what I call the obedience test. The obedience test. When Jesus finishes his... Yeah, doesn't the Bible say we all fail that? Like Romans 3, none is righteous, no, not one, no one seeks for God. Together they've turned aside. You know, things like that. I mean, if you, you want to see if you pass the obedience test, take a look at the Ten Commandments. And just ask this question, am I perfectly obeying these? Answer, no. That means you fail the obedience test. Sermon, he turns to Peter and he says in verse 4, Hey, now I have an assignment for you. Thanks for helping me with the boat. So, my sermon's done, but here's what I want you to do. Put out into deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Straightforward, simple command from Jesus. Go do this. The right answer would be, certainly I will. But Peter is tired and frustrated, and he knows that fishing is not Jesus' specialty. He has no experience in this. He was a carpenter. So he vacillates, okay? He doesn't jump right in with it. Yes, he vacillates. Now, I don't know about you. Have I vacillate from time to time, even when I get a clear directive from the Holy Spirit? You get... Clear directives from the Holy Spirit. But keep in mind this particular slant on Luke 5 via direct revelation, apparently from God the Holy Spirit. We continue. Sometimes the Holy Spirit gives you or me a crystal clear prompting. Say something, do something, serve someone, meet a need, whatever. Crystal clear direction, right? And sometimes I, I don't know about you, sometimes I'll go, ah, (laughs) I'm not in the mood. I'm busy. 
So you failed the obedience test twice because not only do you not keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, you don't even obey so-called promptings. Uh-huh, okay. Uh, that would take more effort than I want to expend. I don't know if this, you know, is all that wise, you see. And Peter's vacillating, but to his credit, in the nick of time, Peter says these famous words in Luke 5, 5, because you say so, I will. Not because you're an expert about fishing, but because of who you are. And if you tell me to, I will. Heather mentioned this verse a few weeks ago in her fantastic sermon on this and another text. Yeah, if you had a woman preach, that means you again failed the obedience test. Women are not permitted to preach or be pastors. Yeah, you're failing the obedience test like all over the place. She didn't know this, but about 20 years ago, I was vacillating between a yes and a no on a very important decision, like life-altering decision. And God had spoken clearly to me about what I needed to do. I just simply sat on a fence for probably too long. And I was reading in my chair time one day, and I, was, I came across this text, and that little phrase, because you say so, I will just penetrated my vacillating heart. And I wrote the initials, B-Y-S-S-I-W. I wrote it down in my journal. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start using these initials. Because I don't want to be a guy who vacillates when God speaks clearly to me. I want to pass every obedience test that God brings my way. Yeah, no, uh, you've failed every one of them. Just, again, look at the Ten Commandments. Yep. Wow. This is, I mean, notice how super heavy this is on law. But it's not even the written law, the law of God in Scripture. It, it's a new law. You, you've got to obey the promptings, the inner promptings thingy. <sighs> This is just a train wreck. I want to be a because-you-say-so-I-will kind of Christ follower in every area of my life all across the Yeah, you've, again, you have women preach. You claim to get direct revelation. You twist God's word and engage in eisegesis. Yeah, you're like failing every single obedience test. You're going to need to repent and ask God to forgive you for all of this. It's the board. I can't tell you how powerful these little letters have become. I still use them. B-Y-S-S-I-W. Write them down some, somewhere. Is that like the new version of WWJD? Put them as a screensaver. Journal about the, with these little initials. If you live them out in your daily life, you're going to see the favor of God fall in your life. Yeah, apparently the favor of God depends upon you passing the obedience test. Get busy. Good luck. Everyone else has failed. Hopefully you'll succeed. Parenthetically, had Peter failed this obedience test, I'm not sure we would even know his name today. My right, yeah. See, the reason why he made it on to the, you know, the, the list of 12 is because he passed the obedience test. Wow. My guess is Jesus would have taken a pass on him that day. You know, when you read about how the the disciples were called, you're going to note that Jesus literally walks up to them and says, follow me. 
there is no account in any gospel text of like a group going uh, of Jesus coming up and saying, I think you guys can make the cut, but we need to uh, see if you can pass certain tests. And then, you know, and then there's like the elimination rounds. Nowhere are there any elimination rounds when it comes to the disciples. Every single disciple was, you know, literally called by name without any equivocation on the part of Jesus or him figuring out if they can make the cut. There, there was no, there was no re- resume process, interview process or anything. Jesus called them period. He's twisting God's words so badly here. That's just my opinion. He would have maybe drafted someone else. But whenever Jesus finds any follower of his who says, because you say so, I will, Lord, in every area of my life, what he does in and through a person who has that kind of attitude about obedience is incredible. He will use your life in ways you never imagined. Before I move on to the third test, maybe some of you, I don't know how many, maybe some of you right now are vacillating in some area of your life where you have heard God speak to you clearly. Is it vacillating in some area of your life? Forget the Ten Commandments, the objective Ten Commandments, which you're not keeping. You know, now we've got some vague, vacuous thing here. You know, are you vacillating in some unspecified area of your life where, God, you felt a prompting from the Holy Spirit, but you haven't obeyed yet? What is this? Or you've read his word clearly you know precisely what he's asking you to do. And you're vacillating, you see. In my experience, if you say no to what God's clearly asking you to do, if you go down that path of disobedience, my experience only, that path in my life, my life experience, that path usually ends badly or sadly. It's more likely a train wreck than a pot of gold. So when was, uh, tell me about the train wreck when you decided to totally disobey the written word of God and have women preach and teach and be pastors at Willow Creek. I want to hear about that train wreck. Put another way, I don't carry a single regret for the time in my life, for the times in my life when I have obeyed God and did whatever he was asking me to do. Not a single regret. Yeah, he's so obedient, you know. Obedience. And I carry truckloads of regret and remorse for the times that I thumbed my nose at God and just flagrantly disobeyed him. Oh. Yeah, like having women pastors, right? That might be your experience too. So maybe now would be a good time to recommit. And I'm not going to ask you to say these words publicly. I'm just going to ask you for one second. So when you disobey, isn't that called a sin? Yes. What do we need to do when we sin? We need to repent, recognize that God is right. We were wrong and ask God to forgive us and believe that for the sake of Christ, because of what he's done for us on the cross, that we are forgiven. You're going to get to that, right? To maybe say in your heart, God, it's time for me to re-up. So the solution for disobedience is just telling God I'm going to re-up. What? Oh, my goodness. Where's the gospel here? There is no gospel. This is a mess. 
I want to be a because you say so, I will. No fence-sitting, no vacillating, because you say so. Nobody does that, especially you. I will, and I will trust you. And that'll be music to God's ears, really. Uh, So uh, you all know what happens next. Peter lets his nets down in the water, and fish from all over the lake race each other to get into the net. Okay? They're crawling over, swimming over each other to get in the net. Or so it seems. Because so many fish are caught in the nets that the nets and the boats are imperiled. And then comes the third test. I call this the who deserves the credit test. Who deserves the credit test? If Peter puffs out his chest when he's transporting all these fish to the market, if Peter claims to his colleagues that it was his superior knowledge, it was his skills, his special technique that resulted in this... Notice again, he is not actually exegeting this text. This once-in-a-lifetime catch. I think Jesus would have put him on waivers. He said, I'm not sure I need you. But Luke 5.8 says that Peter fell on his knees, runs up to Jesus falls on his knees, and he says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Translate it. You're in a whole different league, Jesus, than anyone I've ever met. Even the fish obey you. You have powers I didn't know existed. And this amazing catch, I understand. Hear me well. I'm on my knees in front of you. This catch was all you. So I'm giving you all the credit. And when Jesus saw Peter pass that test, the who deserves the credit test, I think Jesus figured that Peter was special. None of this is recorded in Luke 5. We've read four verses. We'll reread verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night, took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, They enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come to help them. They came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Jesus. Notice that the biblical text is actually way more interesting than Bill Hybels' recasting of the whole story. He's not exegeting the text. He hasn't read the text. And remember, it's the Word of God that is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. He's not preaching the Word. He's not even teaching the Word. He's literally rewritten the entire story based upon his claim that God the Holy Spirit gave him this angle, and he's not actually engaging with the text at all. They're not hearing the Bible there at Willow Creek. Not perfect. Peter was never perfect. He was special. He was usable. He was honest. He was humble. And Are you special? Are you usable? He was grateful. Similarly, when we credit God for what he does in and through our lives, 
when we are quick to fall on our knees when he gives us a blessing of some sort and say, thank you, God. You opened that door for me that I couldn't open for myself. That was all you. You arranged that provision for me. That was all you. You had my path cross his or hers. It was a miracle. It was all you. You averted that disaster. That was all you. You gave me the words to say in that difficult conversation. That was all you. Gang, heaven's heart melts when people like us fall to our knees and are quick to give God the credit for his acts of kindness and mercy toward us. Pass the who deserves the credit test as often as you get get the opportunity. Fall on your knees from time to time. I think I've told you before, uh, and this is just a, a window into a practice of mine that's probably, you know, pegging your weird meter when you hear about it. But I have tried to cultivate the practice of gratefulness because I don't want to be a whiner or a complainer. I don't want to be someone who's discontent and, you know, half ticked at God for not doing more or giving me more or something like that. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be someone who watches the goodness and kindness of, of God all around me and When he expresses that into my life, I want to be quick to pass that who deserves the credit test and say, it was all you. So when I'm in private, and I don't do this in public, I'll tell you why in a minute, but when I'm in private and aware of a kindness that's come my way from God's gracious hand, I often will raise my hands as high as I can and I'll say, God, that was all you. And I want you to see my hands raised because I'm telling you, I'm stretched out. I, it was, was all you. Now, you rarely see me waving my arms in public worship because uh, I'm Dutch and screwed up and stuff. But And I, I love to see other people do I love to see you guys do it. Do it. But one time I was on the other side of the world in a charismatic worship service. And everybody had their arms up. I mean, it was, there was a lot going on there. And the worship leader said, and I didn't. I was just standing there. And, and the worship leader said, there's a few of you who don't have your arms in the air. <laughs> I'm like, oh, and I had to speak after this. And I'm like, oh, gee, you know, so. <laughs> I'm like, I hate it when someone makes me do something. And I have my arm. So I'm like, bad attitude, arms in the air, and someone, when I had my eyes closed and could not defend myself, hugged me. And I was like, oh, I couldn't fend that off. So in public worship, I always keep my arms where I can fend someone off in case they get such a notion in their head. Another thing that I do, in all seriousness, sometimes when a major blessing has come my way, I lay flat out on my face with my arms extended. On- Who's he preaching about? Himself. So he fails the give God all the credit test by preaching about himself. On the floor of my study at the house. It helps me. It, it, it reminds me. I say, God, every fiber of my being is prone before you right now, giving you the credit for what you just did. And I want you to see. So he's giving himself the credit for giving God the credit. Got it. How grateful I actually am. I don't know if you've ever tried that before. Uh, I turn on worship music 
when no one's around and I sing with ungodly volume levels. I write thank you notes to God and then I read them to him. But if I don't cultivate this uh, practice of gratitude, I can sink into a what's in it for me. How come God isn't doing more? And I can forget who he is and how kind he's been to me. Well, I just want to say, Peter passed this test. He comes running back, falls to his knees, and he goes, that was all you. And when you learn how to do that and practice that, heaven notices that. And you pass that test, and God just starts pouring additional amounts of favor on your life because he realizes you know who. Boy, all law, no gospel here. It's all you. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta. As long as you give the credit to the right person, pass the test, then you're going to get all kinds of blessings and favor, like Bill Hybels. Deserves the credit. Okay, two more quick tests, and then we'll be done. Test four is the grander vision test. The grander vision test. Again, nobody uh, has discovered this until just now. Peter's still shaking his head in disbelief that all the fish he's going to be able to sell at the market very soon. Now I'm going to paraphrase uh, some of the words of Jesus here a bit, quite liberally, actually. But I imagine this conversation, I've studied this text for years. and I, I imagine. This, so this is going to be not exegesis, but imaginative diseases. <laughs> I don't know how to make that word work. Imaginative Jesus. Yeah, whatever. I think Jesus said something like this to Peter. Wasn't that fun, Peter? I mean, really, the catch of a lifetime. Wasn't that a ball? And now you're going to get a huge payout when you take all these fish to market. This is really fun, isn't it? And then he says, yeah, that that's not recorded for us. The this, Wasn't that really fun part? <sighs> Just totally eisegeting based upon his imagination. You know, there's actually something. Believe me on this now, Peter. There's actually something more fun than a big catch and a big paycheck. It's partnering with me to bring about transformation in people's lives and destinies. I know that doesn't sound... Partnering with... What? (laughs) To bring about transformation of people's lives and destinies. What are you talking about? It's not all that exciting when I'm telling it to you right now. And I want you to know there's nothing wrong with the fishing business, Peter. Absolutely nothing wrong. But the people business. Oh, Peter, if you ever got your head around and your heart around the thrill of the people business, if you would partner with the Father and partner with my plan, when you see people's lives change as God uses you to spread his love and so, it's even more fun and thrilling than a big catch and a big check. It really is. So then he says those famous words, Hey, Peter, would you consider from here on out being a fisher of men and women? Would you consider? That's not what the text says. Jesus specifically says to his disciples, You did not choose me, I chose you. Jesus did not say, Now, would you consider being on my A-team? You've made the cut. No, he said, from now on, you will be a fisher of men. Good grief. Peter could barely wrap his head around what Jesus was saying that day. But he started catching on. 
as his life went on. And the people business became more central to him increasingly as his life unfolded. And most of you know, later on in his life, the only thing that mattered to Peter was the people business. And Rome, the the Roman leadership said to Peter, if you continue to proclaim this message publicly, we're going to kill you. And Peter said, that would be just fine because nothing can stop me from proclaiming this message that was so transformative to me. And I'm going to be in the people business until you take my life from me. And most of you know that Peter was martyred for what he did. And it doesn't say this in scripture, but in church history and in church tradition, it says that when his time to be martyred came around, they said, we're going to execute you via crucifixion. That was the preferred uh, fashion in that day, uh, form of execution, I should say. And so Peter said, only one request. Do you remember what it was? He said, would you crucify me upside down? Because my leader and redeemer was crucified right side up. And I don't even deserve to be crucified in the manner that he was. So just flip me upside down, if you will. And church tradition said that's how he died. Um, But man, Peter saw, (laughs) he got the grander vision. A vision for people over products, people over profits, people over pressure, pleasure, people over fame. He got that right. Before I mention the fifth and final test, one of my dreams that dates all the way back to the theater days was that someday Willow Creek Church would be filled with people who excelled in their professions, excelled as teachers and doctors and contractors and accountants and developers and real estate people and auto mechanics and so. Everybody excelling in their professions, giving God the glory. But beyond that, the dream that I've carried all these decades has been that every Christ follower who calls Willow their home would also have a grander vision, a purpose beyond their mere profession, a purpose that would involve the thrill of the people business and introducing people to the love of Christ and helping struggling people grow in their faith and so. And I I have carried that with me all these years. And at a leadership summit many years ago, I cast what I called the grander vision vision. And there was a guy from Oklahoma who happened to be in the in the room that day and we the grander vision vision uh-huh and we played this his story at the recent leadership summit but I want all of you to see it now so please watch this all right so before we get started i just want to make sure i've got all this straight you planted under how is this supposed to help me understand luke 5 again underground churches in china You traded wells to free pygmy slaves in the Congo. And now you're part of the biggest wall project in the world. And you did all of this out of your small pump shop in Oklahoma. How did all this happen? It's a long story. My wife, Terry, and I were living pretty conventional lives. So this guy passed all those five leadership tests himself. 
Got it. We were an ordinary family, two kids, a dog, a cat. We'd worked at our water pump company, Pumps of Oklahoma, for our entire life. We're the experts on water pumps in Oklahoma. We pretty much had it locked in for the next 30 years on what exactly this was going to look like. Building the company, have a little bit extra money, and then just set our lives up for this easy glide path into retirement. One day, one of our customers came into the shop. He said, well, I just flew in from Taiwan. And I said, what were you doing in Taiwan? He goes, well, I was planting churches. And in the most sanctimonious voice and tone that I could muster, I said, well, I'd like to go on a mission trip sometime, knowing that I really didn't want to go on a mission trip ever. And he said, so, Dick, you have solar-powered pumps. We could go into mainland China, and then we could go plant churches, and we could end up getting water to these people. It's scaring the heck out of me right now because I don't want to go to China and plant churches. I was just saying that because that's what church people do. Four months later, I'm in southern China in a really remote village. We're able to install two solar pumps where they've never had running water to see what happens when people get clean water where little girls can go to school because there actually is sanitation facilities at their school, transforms the whole community. When Dick got back, it was obvious that there was so much need in the world. God had placed us where we were in the kind of business that we were in. We knew that it wasn't accidental. From that point on, the safe, easy glide path to retirement wasn't going to be there. So after one of our trips, we determined that solar pumps were too high tech. We needed to invent a new type of hand pump. And so I thought of my old college roommate, Steve. And I hadn't talked to him in probably two years. I came in Monday morning, checked my voicemail, and it's Steve. And he goes, well, my pump went out in my granite shop. And I go, well, forget that. I've been to China three times. I've been to Sierra Leone. I need help inventing a hand pump. We met for lunch, and I told him it had to be able to pump water 80 to 100 feet deep, be built in-country, less than $100 in cost, and oh, by the way, I needed it in three months. And he goes, yeah, I'll start tomorrow. So Steve finds a drawing from Leonardo da Vinci from 1498. A couple days later, he finds a patent from England from 1675. He combines the two drawings... And we end up with the Access 1.2 hand pump, which is the pump that we're using today. And the cost is $20. How many people are being brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins? Yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, this is a good work, then, serving them with these water pumps and stuff. That's great. But what about... You know, repentance, forgiveness of sins, disciples of Jesus, learning all that Jesus taught, you know. At that point, we created a new manual drilling method made in-country by the in-country people. We started training and mentoring teams all over the world. If we could help people start their own drilling businesses, their own pump repair businesses... As soon as they were trained, they would just take it from there and solve the water crisis in their communities. We said yes to every project that we came across, and we just kept seeing God show up in every place. Over the course of 10 years now, we've gotten water to a million people. We've drilled 3,200 wells. We've spoken at the United Nations. 
We're working on the largest freshwater project in the world, the 7,000 well project. We've been to 32 different countries. We have 350 business partners that we work with around the world every single day that get up and start drilling wells so they can feed their families, so they can be the solution to their own village's problems. Yeah, but will they be in the new earth? You know, when Jesus returns in glory, will they make the cut because they're believers in Christ? Quite often, we ask ourselves, how did we get here? It all started just with saying yes to the things that were right in front of us that are in our everyday life. The only reason it works is because God makes it work. He takes the little that you have and makes it much. You know, that's grander vision living. Right. Are are you, you experiencing grander vision living? It's a guy who had a profession and heard the Holy Spirit say, there's more than the pump business. There's the people business. All of you are in professions. And this is one of the most talented congregations on planet Earth. We have so many high-achieving, really excellent professionals all across the Willow family, all of our campuses. And some of you know you've already achieved a certain amount in your profession, but there's something that aches inside of you for more, and what that more probably is, is figuring out your grander vision. You're part of the people business. Now, it's not my job to figure that out for you. Right, you got to figure that all out on your own. But you got to pass the five leadership tests first. It's the Holy Spirit's job, and He's able. Your job is to partner with the Holy Spirit. Use your chair time, your small group time, your table time to say, God, how do you how do you want the grander vision to look in my life? And every person I know who has prayed that prayer consistently over time, the Holy Spirit has revealed a step to take, a step to take, a step to take, and pretty soon you understand with clarity what it is, and then you're living that grander life. And Peter got that. Right. you you got to do the steps, though, if you want the grander life thing. It's all up to you. And he lived a life that changed the whole uh, Middle East because of his leadership and planting churches and leading churches and so. And God will use you in some fantastic way too. You watch. All right, final test. Uh, and I call this the will you leave it all behind test. Will, the will you leave Right, it? yeah, you got to pass this one too, yeah. Leave it all behind test. Luke five eleven says, So they pulled up their boats on the shore and they left everything. And followed Christ. So I want to be real clear about this. Sometimes, this isn't the normal course of events, but sometimes in the course of the journey of your walk with God, sometimes God will ask you to make breathtaking sacrifices. Leave it all behind sacrifices. Sometimes. Are you going to talk about Jesus' sacrifice? He left it all behind. He died. 
for our sins. For some of you, as he did with me in my early 20s, he will say, leave your profession. I left a, a family business that was lucrative. It was financial suicide. And I knew it. And God was clearly saying, leave that behind. I want you to do something else. And he doesn't do that regularly or even for most people, but sometimes he tells you to leave a comfortable thing and, and to move into the discomfort of not knowing exactly how he's going to use you. But he says, trust me. Uh, sometimes it's not the normal agenda or program for everybody, but sometimes God will say, leave your country. Because I need you in an under-resourced country somewhere around the world. And I need you to plant roots there and live there and do something for me over there. Sometimes he does that. Sometimes he'll tell a college kid, take a semester off and go work for an NGO. Just a year of sacrifice or a half a year of sacrifice. Sometimes God, and I've heard this all over our church, sometimes God will say, you know, this family vacation that's coming up, I know you want to go to where it's warm. I know you want to lay on a beach. This family vacation, I'm going to ask you to sacrifice your family vacation on the beach and work in a refugee camp for 10 days. Take the kids, live in a terrible hotel, and expose yourself to terrible suffering that's going on that you would normally try to shield your eyes from and shield your kids' eyes from. And I hear about this happening more and more around Willow, where families will come back from those kinds of vacations and they'll say, curiously, it was the most memorable family vacation of our lives. We talked more, we prayed more, we came back different than when we left. For reasons I don't completely understand, from time to time, God asks us to sacrifice something very near and dear to us because he's trying to purify us. He's trying to tweak something in us. He's trying to say, I can't use you how I would like to use you until you pass this sacrifice test. You have to pass the sacrifice test. <clears throat> yeah, no, notice the emphasis is on your sacrifice, not Christ's. And every time God's asked me to do it, I get as frightened as I did the previous time. And every time I pass this sacrifice test, I come out the other side really grateful. He, he passes it every time. That I obeyed and went through with the sacrifice, and inevitably I feel more useful on the other side. So I don't know what that is for you. I have no idea. But if the time should come when God would ask you to leave something very important behind so that you can do something he wants you to do instead, I would just ask you <laughs> to do what Peter did. Pass that test too. Yeah, get busy. Pass that test. And I, on the authority of Scripture, can almost guarantee that what lies on the other side of that sacrifice is going to be so much better than you could ever imagine. All right, now we're out of time, and that promised land volunteer's in my head, and you know she might be packing heat today. So uh, would you stand now as we close? And what I'd like to... Uh, ask Done. What a mess. Yeah, um, it's all up to you. Achieve your dream destiny thingy. Uh, via works, you have to earn it. You have to pass these tests. 
tests that are never actually laid out in Scripture. But don't worry, God the Holy Spirit gave Bill Hybels an angle, you know, uh, um, you know, for Luke five. So, I mean, this is, this goes all the way up to the top. I mean, forget the fact that the church has never heard any of this for 2000 years. God, the Holy spirit finally revealed the tests that Peter had to pass in order to make the, the team that uh, Jesus was putting together. I mean, I'm glad that he, he did that. It leaves us, I mean, such a good example for us to follow. Will you, Pass these five tests so that Jesus can use you in, you know, in some major, grander vision capacity. Yeah. This is straight up man-made doctrine, totally based upon a false, false teaching and adding things to Scripture that are not there. And the people there thought they heard from God and they... And there was a video with, with, you know, with a compelling story. I mean, engage people emotionally. I mean, these, they, they build freshwater wells in China. So that this grander vision thing works because, you know, them. But there's, there, this is not taught in scripture. And the emphasis is all on you and your obedience. Spoken from a man who disobeys God's word flagrantly did so in this sermon. It's, I, I, I almost don't have words. And we didn't hear anything about the cross. Repentance, forgiveness of sins, nothing. Wow. What'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkmac at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.